Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC, it's your favourite football podcast, back again for another week and today we're discussing the Euro Under 21 Championships which were won by England this weekend. We're going to be taking a look at just how the Young Lions won the tournament, how they won their first Euro Under 21 tournament in a long, long time and also some of the players who stood out. Uh, some of the names that you do know and some of the names you might not have heard of just yet. You should be keeping an eye out for next season. And I'm joined for this endeavour by the brilliant, ever brilliant Seb Stafford Blue of The Athletic and Tifo. Seb, thank you so much for coming on Ranks FC today. 
Thanks for inviting me, Jag. It's always a pleasure to have you on, mate. But I, I really have enjoyed your scouting reports through this <laughs> under 21 euros. It's been loads of fun. I've been keeping on and reading all about it. But we were just saying before we came on air, it feels like this tournament's gone on forever. And at the start, it was really exciting and, and, and brilliant and loads of fun. And I think that a lot of people will have maybe watched the first game of it when it was broadcast free to air in the UK uh, on, on for the final. But it does feel like it's really stretched through the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I've been thinking about this as well. And I think one of the problems is that when you have most tournaments like a Euros or a World Cup, there's stuff around the games, whether it be atmosphere, events, expectation, whatever. The problem with the under 21 Euros, and I will defend the tournament forever because I love it. I've been to a couple, I always watch it, is that the games kind of exist by themselves. They're played in sort of sparsely populated stadiums. And there isn't much focus on like where the games are being played. You don't get a little fact file before, before kickoff, do you, about you know um, what it's like in Tbilisi. And so you just get these individual games and they, they seem kind of disconnected. And I suppose as a result, it's very difficult to get swept up in it. So you're just, and you don't really get, you don't really get to feast on anything other than the literal football. You don't even hear very much from the, the squads themselves throughout the tournament. So it does drag and it, you're not sustained throughout the tournament, which I think is, is part of the problem. I think it's going to be interesting. Maybe the best coverage of the lot was actually in the United States of America where CBS had the rights. And there seemed to be quite a lot of, of different things going on around the tournament. Whereas in the UK here, it was all on UEFA TV, which meant it was quite, as you say, Spartan in terms of what you were given. It was stream starts five minutes before kickoff, stream ends after kickoff, but mid halfway, yeah. halftime bit is, is just highlights. And, and maybe that kind of, plays into it as well yeah i think so also i had to so i've lived in germany and um, it, over here it was on a, a channel called pro sieben um which is a free-to-air channel but uh i don't have it on my television so i had to it always feels a bit rubbish doesn't it when you have to go on it feels like you're at work again as so you're watching the the games on your on your laptop or in your desktop as you just sat there it feels like you're you, it, it, hard to hard to sort of um break through that sense that you're doing something for enjoyment purposes rather than just because it's work um which which shouldn't help and i'm amazed that um i didn't realize that uh, there was no there was no coverage in in the uk beyond the uefa website that amazed me yeah well it was it was all very strange i mean I, my patrons will know this already and then those who've been listening on uh, on patreon will will understand but the moment i realized you could get uefa tv on a playstation and therefore could play it through the tv completely and utterly changed my viewing <laughs> of this tournament because I think I would have watched far less of it had it been the same yeah as you say the, the appetite for it when you're sitting there watching it on a small screen very very different I think when it's when it's a game that maybe isn't quite as much of interest as some others but I think we should get started Seb, with the final because yeah. it was a, a really interesting game England won 1-0 against Spain and I think in many views that was probably a turn up for the books now, England were amongst the favorites so it's hardly you know, a, a, an upset of ginormous proportions. It very much was it something that could happen. But Spain had demolished Ukraine mm -hmm. in the semi-finals, uh, and England, whilst being comfortable and not conceding a goal, felt they'd had a far simpler path, I think, to the actual final of this competition. And so, for England to turn it around and win, I, I was really, really impressed with the way that they we dealt with this because there was a real feeling, I think, before the game that Spain were going to overrun England in midfield. And yeah. instead, it turned into a real battle of attrition in there and England came out the better of. Did it, did it surprise you how bad-natured the game was? Not hugely, because I think there's a lot of people 
who are got a point to prove at that exact moment. Mm. And and I think that those things kind of run into each other when the, when there's a lot at stake. But I suppose considering there's no particular history between the nations, then then maybe I think it was just the way that the game played out and the fact that the big you know the big turning points in the game felt like either massive mm-hmm. strokes of luck or huge refereeing decisions probably didn't help the nature of it yeah well i bring it up just because i felt like it, it benefited england a little bit um i think the things that stood out for me were an awful first half an hour from everybody involved just almost unwatchably bad um but i thought howard bellis was absolutely fantastic all the way through the tournament um cole too like in times gone past i think England have arrived at tournaments like this with massive reputations and the expectation that some of these players, most of whom generally are playing Premier League football um, week in, week out, are going to just overwhelm everybody. And I think from an England perspective, what's always gone wrong is the lack of system. Um, You look look back at the kind of the A.D. Boothroyd years, era, don't want to call it an era, but you know, Um, and there there were very disconnected performances go back before that to kind of Stuart Pierce's time. And, and you saw the way that individual players would be exposed, like the lack of technique or lack of tactical understanding. To me, um, a couple of things stood out. Talked about the, the defenders. James Trafford, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to at some point. But the way that the system was able to accommodate the lack of like a, an established goal scorer, right? Um, I know Cameron Arch had a really good tournament, but um, I don't think you call him established yet. But also mid-tournament able to absorb a loss like Jacob Ramsey who like had he not got injured I feel like he'd be coming back with a reputation which had kind of doubled or trebled throughout the summer now previously I think what you get is a situation where England um, a team like Spain who you mentioned that Ukraine game I feel like a couple of things happened there like Spain were excellent but also Ukraine had an emotional tournament um, had some seriously big moments. I felt like they ran out of steam. I felt like it was just their end point and it, they just got overwhelmed towards the end of that game. But even so, I thought that um, previously a team like Spain would be able to find find the holes, find the gaps because they move the ball so, so well. Some of the movement in midfield and some of the, the, the ball progression was just outstanding to the point where before the tournament, uh, before the final, sorry, I kind of feared for England just because you think, you mentioned it, I think we, we talked about this off air a little bit because of the structure of the, of the, of the competition it didn't feel like England were really tested throughout it. And so you thought there's going to be a heavy punch coming from somewhere and it's clearly going to be Spain. Like I know Portugal, but I'm not sure quite how good Portugal actually were. Um, But I was super impressed, super impressed by the resiliency. And I just feel like I bring the, uh, the kind of the aggressive nature of the game up because it felt like it dampened a lot of the things that Spain did well throughout the rest of the tournament, to me at least. Yeah, I thought what was interesting, and and I think it's interesting that you bring up Jacob Ramsey's injury because the fact that Cole Palmer slotted in here and mm-hmm. feels far more like an out and out winger mm-hmm. than Jacob Ramsey. And it almost felt with Smith Rowe on one side and Jacob Ramsey on the other that England were playing a version of Emery's 4 mm-hmm. right? And I think it's no surprise then that you look at that and go, oh, Jacob Ramsey's thriving. That's yeah. good. But when you kind of switched it and when Palmer came in and pushed forward a little bit more, it almost switched England into a 4-3-3. And I thought that Emil Smith-Rowe did really well in that kind of attacking left eight yeah. role. Given how where... little football he's played too, Jack, like Emil exactly. Smith-Rowe the past year. But I think that that switch there, which meant that the midfield two, if you will, of Angel Gomes and, and Curtis Jones 
suddenly felt much more like a three. And I think it matched up far better to the way that Spain wanted to play. And it allowed it to become sort of, okay, Anthony Gordon's going one-on-one with Vitor Gomez. And look, Vitor Gomez is a really good player. He's played a lot in Europe for Braga this season. Fine, no problem. But Anthony Gordon has that turn of you know, turn of pace, that ability to to spin a man. His end product might not be all there yet, but it's definitely got the capacity to beat a man one-on-one. And it felt just like the matchup started to to go yeah. into England's favour in a way that maybe they wouldn't have done in that 4-2-2-2 that kind of was played throughout the rest of the tournament. I don't know, maybe that's a, a stroke of luck because I think you're right, Jacob Ramsey was brilliant, but actually his absence, I think, might have benefited England here in a in a sort of strange way in that they felt suddenly like they were able to go man for man against this Spain midfield. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because you mentioned three really good technical players. But also I, the, the thing that struck me about Gordon is... Um, I, I don't want to throw around words like fearlessness because it's such a such a trite cliche. But there's an ambition with him on the ball that I always like. Also, I would say that Palmer had that too, right? So um, I forget exactly when it was, but there was a... Um, I want to say it was actually in the first half, just about a couple of minutes before the goal... Like Palmer receives the ball about maybe 10, 15 yards over the halfway line. And he turns in a way that, um, how do I describe it? I probably don't have the vocabulary. It's something you see Phil Foden do. It's that like that's half turn in which he takes the ball. And he doesn't seem to lose any pace while he's doing it. It doesn't seem to, um, doesn't seem to need any time to get to his optimum speed. It just drifts in the, it's a beautiful bit of football. And I feel like, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but to me, this is how it felt. Um, there was no technical inferiority within that forward group. And that felt very, very important because England created, I would say, I haven't seen the XG ratings for this game and I'm aware of the kind of the, the you know, the, the limitations of game by game XG, but I would say that it would be probably about even. It wasn't a situation where England just hung on and waited for, you know, Spain to give away a crap goal from a set piece. Even that's kind of what happened, right? Yeah. Not, the, not the prettiest goal to win a final. But um, having that group at the top of the pitch felt like something that needed to be respected. And that felt extremely important. So maybe with maybe the Ramsey point is a fair one um, because all of those players, Gomez surprised me. Like Gomez, Gomez, Gomez is an example of what happens when as an English player, you leave English football and the people, you kind of stop existing, right? Outside of mm-hmm. age group football, people just don't, don't, aren't interested anymore. You're, you're just, um, you're the guy that in, 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 in that instance probably wasn't quite, big enough to to be given the proper chance in the Premier League. And yet you look at him, you think, this player. And actually anyone who's watched him in Ligue 1 would say the same, I guess. Like it's, um, he's kind of made that a little bit of, made a mockery of that bit. But yeah, I I, um, I couldn't be more impressed. And actually, I hope I'm not being disrespectful to previous England coaches. England played a, a sophisticated game of football. It wasn't just counterbunching. It wasn't the kind of the swaggering and, and ill-placed belief that some of these players like when they when they used to stack a 442 up and think we're going to keep the ball and you just didn't and you had jack rodwell in the middle of the pitch it's just not yeah. it's not going to it's not gonna work right whereas here it was just it was so modern and even though like um and the kind of the the, the points about not being tested through the tournament side like it felt very gratifying to watch that and no 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 least with the front three and the kind of the connectivity between them i think that's kind of Goodness me, it feels nice to be able to say that about England age group team, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, you speak about Angel Gomes there, and, and he's such an interesting footballer mm-hmm. because obviously he spent a lot of time at 10 on the wing. And people watching him, you know, for the first time since those Manchester United days 
would have been like, hang on, he's playing at the base of midfield. What's going on here? But we've seen this. And, you know, the you know the ability that people have, there was a bit of that, oh, hang on, he's done an Adel to rap. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, yes, to a point. <laughs> but <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But it was like, you know, you're looking at that and thinking, hang on, he's had the technical ability all his mm, life. Yeah. His actual end product hasn't been great. You know, and we saw that not only at Manchester United where it didn't quite work, he went, you know, on to Lille, but the first thing he did when he did that was he went on loan to Boavista. And he, he scored a couple of really good goals and he made a couple of things happen, but it never felt like he was the one they were going to rely on to be the match winner, you know, in, in that Boavista side who weren't a particularly brilliant side in the Primera that year. So it, this is, you know, someone who's playing sort of second, bottom half, top tier football in, in, in Portugal. And you're thinking, hmm. I'm not sure that he's going to make it at, at the top level, not because of his size, because I think that matters less on the Iberian Peninsula, I agree. but because his output wasn't great. So he went back to Lille and was like, what if I played in a deeper role? They would never do that in an English system because he'd be seen as being too small. You'd never be to trusted. fit within that. You'd never exactly. be trusted. And it be... It's the kind of Jorginho complex, right? Do you know what it reminds me of is when people used to talk about before Real Madrid happened and before he, he, he kind of, um, carved his identity in gold or whatever. Um, when people used to talk about how valuable Luka Modric might be at the base of midfield, it'd be like, no. You know, because the idea was ridiculous. I feel like obviously we're not comparing him to Luka Modric. That's not really fair. But the idea of a the idea of a sitting midfielder in English football is a physical profile, not necessarily a technical one. Whereas that's kind of the wrong way around. And this tournament in a, in a tiny sort of age group context sort of way is really proof of that and it's it's kind of it's also interesting to see an English player being able to do that discipline because um not to take everybody back to the bad old days of um Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard playing for the England senior side but it's not possible it hasn't always been possible just to say to somebody hey um you're good at this thing this thing this thing go and apply them in this different area of the pitch that hasn't always been a successful formula for for English players in the past and so I feel like he is a he is characteristic of a, a different type of English player to have been bred that has a has that sort of um, versatile skill set. And it's really interesting to watch it happen and also to be able to see it applied at tournament level against, like, hey, Spain, that's the really, really good side. And, um, you know, against Portugal, right? So, like, I know that um, Portugal didn't fail, but players like Dantas has played for Bayern Munich, for goodness sake. Like, you know, these are, these are, this is a proper testing ground, even if it's kind of not quite senior football. Yeah, I just wanted to give a shout, and we do this every time when we talk about young England teams, but to the EFL. Yeah, um, sure. And it has, it's not for everybody, but, you know, James Trafford has spent a year with Bolton and is suddenly now being linked with, with signing for Burnley since their promotion. I think that that move you know, could mm -hmm. have gone through by the time we'd released this podcast. You know, James Garner spent time with Watford and Nottingham Forest. Taylor Harwood Bellis has just spent a year with Burnley. Levi Colwell spent oh, a year yes. with Huddersfield yeah, yeah, before yeah. he went to the before he went to Brighton. Max Ahrens was with Norwich in the Championship. Cole Palmer has stayed at the Manchester City fine. But you kind of look at a lot of these players. Smith Rowe was at Huddersfield. Gibbs White was at Nottingham Forest. Anthony Gordon has come through the Everton Academy fine. But there is a lot of these footballers. And you even look at the players coming on. Cameron Archer, that that loan spell with Preston North End, Tommy Doyle spending time this season in, in the championship, Harvey Elliott, that loan at Blackburn. Loads of these footballers have spent time in the EFL and it just does show what a, what a proving ground it is because 
you know, one of the things I was concerned about, or not concerned about, but one of the things I noticed at the start of the tournament was you look at this Spain side, you look at this France side, and look at how many of them are playing mm-hmm. top-level European football. Now, then maybe a little bit older, and, and that's okay. But you look at how many of them are playing for Betis, for Villarreal, for Braga in Portugal, you know, and, and for, for athletic clubs, Real Sociedad. You know, it, for the French Easy. team, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're playing at a really high level, and I thought that would be the difference when it came to a game like this uh, and, and you actually look at so the way that England dealt with that, I, th- I thought was really, really impressive, but a shout for Spain because they've played some absolutely glorious football. There have been some wonderful performances, not least from Rodri Sanchez, who remains a, a pure oh, gem in my heart. It just, you know, <laughs> I watched him in the first game of the tournament and I remember thinking, do you remember the chance that he created for Ruiz to miss yeah. at the back post that one? He just, he's kind of, he's a player like like you, he's a player after my own heart, just someone who gets the ball in certain positions and he squares up a man. You just think, you know, you wouldn't trade places for that defender for all the money in the world, right? Um, He was terrific. I I did want to say something about James Trafford though, because um, I became, I I went into the tournament knowing nothing about him, never having watched him play a minute of senior football. Um, And so it's kind of a voyage of discovery, but um, if you go back to that game against the Czech Republic in the first, the very first group game and the first half of that, like I feel like obviously Trafford's tournament now will be defined by the penalty save and the follow-up save in the final. Rightly so, great moments. But if you go back to that game and you see um, his first half performance, so there's one save from a one-on-one, the second where England let in a chance down down their right side and Trafford saved really low to his left. And... Um, that save, he, I forget, I think it was against um, Portugal. He made that save again, but on his right side later on in the tournament. Yeah. And if you add those saves in with his command of his box, um, his distribution, um, which whenever you see a really tall goalkeeper, because I think James Raff is about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, maybe even taller, 6'5", something like that, you always think, mm, don't really trust you. Because in my mind, like goalkeepers who are good with their feet should always look like Fabian Barthez. Um, that's just me showing my age. But actually, I was really impressed with what, what he was willing to do away from his penalty box too um, and how comfortable he looked receiving the ball. I, I, honestly, I, I think Burnley have got an absolute steal um, yeah. to get him for less than 20 million. Given what you could probably command for him now, um, I, I think England don't win the tournament without him. I, I know that I think Andy and Gordon got player of the tournament, but to me, it was trafficked by quite a long way. Um and there were some good other goalkeepers at the tournament too, which I'm going to talk about, but he was just, he was absolutely magnificent. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I was a bit with you. I, I mean, I'd seen a little bit of him at Bolton because a lot of my friends are Bolton fans. Mm-hmm. So I've seen a bit more of Bolton than perhaps the average person this season. But when, when you kind of look at those saves, it almost bookends a tournament, as you say, you know, the big yeah. saves against the Czech Republic and then the final moment of the, the final. And we'd been having this discussion uh, on our post-box episodes and saying, People going, oh, James Trafford's really good, isn't he? I was like, yes, he is good. He's also got Howard Bellis and Colwell in yeah. front of him. I don't think that apart from that first, real first moment, he's been tested all that much. And then suddenly to come out and perform like that and make that moment happen in the final, yeah. I think is very, very impressive. And, and, and that's one of the things you can look at and be like, yes, and a mark of a good goalkeeper is often that they don't need to be called into action for 80 minutes and then they'll make the save. And, and that's a lot of, of what happened here in, in this regard, I think. So yeah, shout out to James Trafford. He's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on uh, next year. 
Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Should we start with a couple of players, maybe bigger name players who, who've shown in this tournament and then we'll in part two, we'll, we'll do some lesser known names. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about him a little bit already, but I think it's fair to start with Anthony Gordon, considering he did win player of the tournament. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to like about his performances across the course of this, I think. But there remain question marks over where he fits in for Newcastle United next year. Now, there will be minutes mm -hmm. because they have European football, cup football and Premier League football to deal with. But he played a lot here as sort of an off the striker, off the left player who, who kind of worked in a 4-4-2 and a 4-3-3 at different kind of places. There's not really a space for him up top for Newcastle with Wilson and Isaac there. There's also this threat that Isaac can play off the off the wing. And Alan Saint-Maximin remains at Newcastle for how long, we don't know. But he is there. Harvey Barnes is reportedly coming in. There's going to be competition for his spot here. Yeah, I mean, truth be told, maybe this looks a bit silly in six months, Jack. It's one of the reasons I don't really like the move because I think... At the time that he did move it, it was clear which direction Newcastle were headed in. And um, you're right, like when you sign a player like Isaac, obviously you've got covering a lot of different places, but you also got a really, really good footballer. Um, yeah. I really like him coming off the left. I really like him in that role that he played at Sociedad. Um, I, I think it's kind of, it suits his game. It takes the goal scoring burden off him too. Um, and I kind of, and this is purely from a development perspective. We've already covered um, just how important it is for players to actually play. Like, I don't really want a player in Anthony Gordon's position just getting minutes or being kind of the guy that takes, um, you know, the burden away from people in League Cup games or in the Champions League or in the sort of the back end of Premier League, um, uh, Premier League matches. I want a player to go through a season and have the opportunity to fail and improve and develop in a certain role and know that he's able to do that. Whereas at Newcastle... Um, you know, it, it's a you know it's a strength because their squad is getting stronger and it's only likely to get stronger and stronger. Um, it's difficult to know. It's difficult to know. Like you hear on the fact that there's no natural role for him right at the moment. Um, Almiron's there as well. Like Almiron can play some of the positions that he would, but also there's no real opportunity for him to, for instance, um, halfway through the season. You know, Eddie Howe is not going to say. I've got an idea for a new tactical tweak. Let's go to a false nine and put Gordon at the top of the formation and see what happens there because it's just not going to happen um, and unless there's a ridiculous injury crisis, um, that there's no chance. So it's a difficult one, but um, yeah, it's difficult to know what to make because he, you, don't, you don't see a pathway where he can come back from this competition and, and capitalise on, on the progress that he's made there. I don't, I don't see it personally. I hope, I hope to be proven wrong, but... Um, yeah, hard one. I feel quite similarly. I hope I hope I'm wrong, but yeah. 
I struggle seeing this work out. And and look, maybe he's gonna maybe he's gonna go in there and shine and, and make himself undroppable. But it, it feels like a a pretty difficult place to make that happen. I think, especially with the rotations they're gonna need yeah. to happen in the week. We've talked a lot about England though, so I'm gonna move us away. Um, and I'm gonna move Sergio Gomez, who oh, was joint top scorer in the competition. Yeah. So this is the thing. So we're we're looking at a player who suddenly pushed up the field from where he played mostly for Manchester City at left back and just what a wonderful creator he is in the final third now City might need to go looking for another left back but I don't think they're going to go need looking for another left wing replacement for a little while it honestly it was kind of it was like watching Zinchenko play for Ukraine you know you know not at this tournament obviously but like in the you know when he when he when he was sort of still playing left back for Man City fullback or kind of however you want to describe that role in the Guardiola and then you'd see him play for Ukraine and you see, God, well, you know, there's this rainbow of abilities that he possess. Exactly the same situation. Just I absolutely marvel. Um, and I'd make him probably Spain's best player at the tournament, I would say. Um, I don't think that's too much of a stretch. Um, just a wonderful delivery, great outlet. Just He just looks like he's kind of, uh, I, I, I don't know what the term is really, but just a solution all the way down the left side. Um mm. And it's kind of, I don't know enough about his career prior to Manchester City to know what effect the Guardiola's had on him. But um, to come into a tournament having had very little, not very little football, but very little week-to-week involvement at City and to be that impressive and to be that influential is amongst that group of players too. It's not like, you know, the, the, it, we, we've covered it. This is not an unknown group. It's not an unknown squad of, of Spanish players. He's just absolutely brilliant. Um, and yeah, what I really like about him, and I think it is really interesting, is that he's got loads of different backgrounds all sort of thrown in together. So obviously, he came through. Well, he came through at, at Espanol, which they're not going to like. The Was Barcelona he Dortmund for a bit. If I got them, I'll yeah. make that up. He went from Barcelona's B team to Borussia Dortmund, yeah, where he didn't make many appearances, but he was there for a good three years. He went off to Huesca on loan. Then he made the move to Anderlecht because yeah. he was like, I'm not getting enough minutes here. Um, made it you know, permanent. It was not, I'm going on loan again. I, I need to find somewhere. And then suddenly the next year, he's made that jump to Manchester City. And it's like, wow, okay, cool. You've, you've gone and made your point. It's like, okay, I'm not getting the opportunities I feel I deserve here at Barcelona. I'm going to move to Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. Okay, let me out on loan once. I'll make, you know, 65 appearances for Huesca over two years. I get back and they're like, no, we, we don't see a place for you this year. Fine, I'm off to Anderlecht. Finally get the opportunity to prove my worth and Manchester City come calling. And you can imagine Dortmund and Barcelona looking at that being like, mm, maybe we should have kept that fella. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because even if, if, if the stories are to be believed, the only real reason he ended up at Man City was um, Brighton being stubborn over Cucurella and also City having spending restrictions because of FFP. So they had to kind of dial down their sort of um, their fullback aspirations that summer. And so he's in a, he, he, not by chance, that's, that seems disrespectful, but it's kind of opportunities he's deserved by being willing to embrace these different cultures and just also prioritizing, got it, it sounds like a broken record. I'm going to play, right? Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing. And he's just, yeah, I, I, I think, um, I mean, it, it's almost as, it's almost one of the situations where you think, not he's been wasted at Manchester City, but at the same time, you would love to see him with a week-to-week role somewhere where it's not, not going to happen at City, of course not, but like um, you'd love to see a situation where he was given um, a kind of a more central role 
um, to, to replicate what he's been able to do in the Spanish team. Just out of curiosity, I'd love to see how that stood up in, in men's football. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, one of those things you're like, okay, how does how does this translate now? And yeah. that's the question for a lot of these, right? We're, we're talking about players, we're talking about a lot of players who we're very excited by, who we like, who have, have made these things. And the, the, these performances are one thing, but you have to translate them. And, yeah. you know, I, we spoke, spoke about Rodri Sanchez earlier. <laughs> I love Rodri and I watch him all the time at Betis. And most of the time I think, Mm, you're still probably a bit lightweight for this. Yeah. You know, there are moments of magic, but to do it consistently week in, week out at the top level, at La Liga, at Europe, Europa League level, is Different. difficult. And you have yeah. to be given the opportunities to make those mistakes, to learn from them in order to keep growing. And I, that's why I think that he will make it if he's sensible and continues to work hard because there are the opportunities and the pathway for him to get those minutes and and you know and step in and and be that guy for Betis as as the seasons go on. So I like the fact that you know these players are getting injuries. I mean, talking of injuries, playing minutes. <laughs> talking of which, what did you make of Sandro Tonali? Because Italy yeah. had a bad tournament, but there were a lot of eyes on him from the northeast of England ahead of that move to Newcastle. Yeah, it's a really good question because one of the situations where. When you go into a tournament, there's certain players that you're looking forward to seeing, and there's others who you just know what they are already. And like Tonali is clearly in that latter bracket. Um, I thought Italy were, uh, I was really disappointed in Italy. Um, Tonali, I think, uh, to be honest with you, actually, the main takeaway I had from him was probably his set piece delivery. Um, yeah. I knew it was good, but I didn't realize it was outstanding. And I kind of, um, Newcastle's midfield. Uh, requirements aside it was one of those things you look at and you think yeah yeah you know I'm kind of imagining what that's going to look like with Dan Byrne and Isaac and uh, Botman and Shah like that that's going to be a serious weapon next season Um, but I don't know I I didn't I wasn't swayed by anything he did at the tournament purely because I've seen him play so much now and I've enjoyed watching him play I mean not that that first season at Milan um, so much obviously I think there was a pretty difficult time and it didn't quite work but certainly from there on in like he's I, I think he's worth every penny of what Newcastle paid for him I, I love watching um it's gonna sound pretentious <laughs> but um I love watching him pass the ball it's a kind of it's a sort of a guilty pleasure that you just you like watching someone who understands how to control a game and how to maneuver uh an opposition to the point where they're off balance and I feel like um Italy just didn't have the kind of the technical ability um around him Particularly, like, the player I was most disappointed with, I know his tournament got interrupted, but uh, Destiny Doji, I thought, was just had a, a nightmare in his first game um, uh, against, uh, it was against France, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And I know Italy were unlucky because of the refereeing, but um, goodness me, like, I, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great tournament. Um, we were, were we going to talk about the refereeing, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I hate sitting here and criticizing the referee, like, but like... it was also it was also just genuinely quite dreadful. And you're like, I don't know what to do about a lot I, of it. I think it was yeah. a penalty in the final. That's the only one that people seem to not think. I think it, I think it made the right call there. But there was just so much of it that I was like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't understand. I just felt teams were, and players were being let down at some point by the refereeing. And I didn't, I don't I didn't really have a, a dog in many of those fights and wasn't even hugely invested in what England were doing. But there were times you just thought, tournament needs better than this. Like it, it just does. Otherwise, you know, anyway, I know. No, you, you're quite right. We shouldn't bore on about refereeing. Well, it's not, I, I think maybe even more than that. The, the tournament deserves to have, 
had goal line technology. Yeah, it, had, it deserved more love, I think. Generally, I and heard an explanation for why they didn't have it. No. I, I may have missed it, but I it very weird to me. I was going to ask. I mean, you kind of answered it in the last one with Adoji, but was there any of the big names? You know, people you were really excited about seeing who you thought were or struggled because I thought Ryan Gravenberg yeah. really poor. You know, I hope I'm, and maybe this doesn't apply to him. Like I feel that sometimes with players like that, you get one of two different performances. Like you either get the player that comes to the tournament is absolutely determined to make a point or you get someone that's had a really bad trying domestic season who just wants to go on holiday and start again next year. And that's what Gravenberg looked like to me. Um, obviously, difficult old time at Bayern Munich, um, and he's not the only one. And also, there's all sorts of suggestions that Bayern want to offload him and, and move him, and, and that can't be easy given what his reputation is. But um, yeah, Gravenberg, um super disappointing. Um, I also thought that... Um, I, I feel like I... Tiago Dantas, okay? So this is this is one of those blind spots that I have. When you watch him play, you think, God, what a good player. Because you could yeah. probably say all the things about him that we've just said about Sandro Tonali. Um, and until you watch him really, really closely and you see a player who has all the ability in the world, all the technical ability in the world, and you think there's a reason why you're now at Olympiacos, right? Rather than, with all due respect, rather than a Bayern Munich. Um, so he was quite disappointing. Um, who else? Uh, da, da, da. No one jumps out, but I might just shout one out at you at some point, if that's okay. Okay, as the I, I think that's me. completely fine. You know what? I, I'm I'm intrigued by Dantas because he's been he's he's obviously just come back from Greece for from mm. on loan, from, and he's finally gone mm. back to Benfica. So that was originally the deal was he went from Benfica to Bayern Munich on loan. Bayern decided not to Didn't take up out. the option yeah. after that. That year he went off to Tondela. He did quite well at Tondela, and then he went off to Pau. And suddenly he came, he's come back now at a point where there appears to be opportunities opening up in this Benfica midfield. Now, obviously, they've signed Urkan Kirkchu to replace Enzo Fernandez, but Florentino Luis cannot play every game. Chiquinho is fine, but I don't think is going to be lighting any, any fires up to be like, oh, we need to move, we need to have him in the team at all times. And Arsenez has basically played as a left winger. I think there's a spot here at 22 that if Thiago Dantas knuckles down this summer, the opportunity could come because, you know, Benfica will also look at that and go, right, we've got the captain of Portugal's under-21 team here. We're building a young, new squad. How does this look? I'm really intrigued by what he does next season. Do you know, I think sometimes when you watch him, you might disagree, sometimes when you watch him, there's a kind of a pointlessness to his passing game. Like, sometimes I don't, I feel like... Maybe I'm missing the point. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm overlooking some tactical reason behind it. But to me, he's a he's a shuffler of the ball. He's not uh, he's not as progressive as he looks like he should be able to be. Um, and maybe I've got an, a really nasty Dantas agenda um, <laughs> that is coloring everything I see with him. I, th- I think that seems I think that seems like a stretch. This but, is where know, we're, we're heading with it. I just like maybe maybe I've been ranting about Thiago Dantas. I, I don't know. That's not where I expected to be on this podcast. Uh, but I just it just whenever I see a gifted player like that, I just I, I expect I don't know I expect more. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think I was one of those people that actually 
um when i saw when i first saw him play for 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 I saw him play a half for Bayern Munich and I thought he played really, really well. On I went to Twitter, this guy's great. And then all of a sudden, didn't really work out. And I kind of, maybe I've just never forgiven him for making me look silly. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's probably fair enough. Yeah. One, thing I, one thing I will give him, um, and I, I thought this was a, a really important part, that 89th minute penalty to yeah. beat Belgium, Nervous. was ice cold yes indeed absolutely yes, ice indeed. cold and that's something you've got to give credit for because portugal have been pretty dreadful up to that point yeah not good um, and probably didn't deserve to get through the groups and yet you know to, to be able to actually stick it on your back and be like nope i'll have this not any of my number nines a central midfielder i'm wearing the armband i step up i, like I thought it. it was deeply impressive and um, right after the break we've got a couple more names to discuss maybe a few more uh, of the more obscure <laughs> ones that we can we can talk about so don't go anywhere Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to Ranks FC. Jack Collins here with Seb Stafford-Blue talking about the Euro Under-21 Championships. And I'm. this is the part I've been waiting for. This is the part <laughs> I'm excited for. I want to know who Seb's liked, who we need to be keeping an eye on next year, some of the more obscure names that maybe we'll see make transfers off the back of this tournament, although the older Dash does hold never buy a player. Never, of international never, never, never. But in this case, there's some real talent kicking around and I'm excited to duck through it. Yeah, so I, I feel like I should give a little bit of a disclaimer to start with. I am a guilty pleasure um, admirer. Like I, I kind of, um, I have a ludicrous bias towards attacking players. And the more kind of um, extravagantly gifted, the better. Um, and so the, 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 the series that I did for The Athletic um, in no way was meant to kind of pick out talent in the kind of might be useful in the Champions League sense. It's just people that I liked that I hadn't heard of before. Um, and right into that sweet spot went Alexei Kashuk, um, who played uh, who played on the right for Ukraine for most of their their tournament. And um, the way to my heart is for a footballer to wear very small shin pads and their socks around their ankles, uh, and just to be very technical. And he was every bit that. Um, you may remember he scored. A, he actually scored Ukraine's first goal of the tournament. That that dribble across the box and the cut across the uh, the keeper into the far post. I just think he was he was excellent. Uh, created the second goal in that first game too with a, a sort of a really nice um, squared up as fullback on the byline and drifted a um, uh, across right to the far post, which is just perfect to be headed in. Um, I thought it was great. Um, we talked actually at the beginning of the, um, the podcast before we went on air about how the scheduling kind of stopped you from watching as many players as you wanted to because you had those three games all at one, all at the same time and then the late one. Um, 
So I wasn't able to watch as much as Kashuk, of Kashuk as I wanted to, but he was great. Um, I'm going to give you a few Georgians and a few Georgian pronunciations well, now. Just before you come on to the Georgians, I just thought something yeah. was really interesting. Ukraine are really, really blessed on that left, huh? I tweeted about this. Army of Yarmolenko's Jack, right? <laughs> Kashuk brilliant in that first game against Croatia. And then in the game against Spain, Nazarenko was just unplayable. And I was like, hang on. They've got both Where of them. That's not coming from? Where are they coming from? Um, yeah, also, Kashuk um, is actually a Shakhtar Donetsk player, but he's been on loan in Azerbaijan, um, which feels like that's the start of quite an interesting story. Like, obviously, I understand what's happened with the Shakhtar bit, but he just, no respect to Azerbaijani football, but he just, he looks too good to be there. So I'm intrigued mm. by what's what's happened there. Um, now, uh Georgians and Georgian pronunciations. Um, so uh, I think it's the the little player who scored David Tashvili, I think his name is. He scored yeah. the the goal against the Netherlands. Um, wonderful goal, and he's got he's got a fun dribbling style. But the guy I liked was actually um, Anzor Mekfabishvili, who was their captain. He's their central midfielder. Um, I don't know. Um, so I, I find it very difficult to place players from twenty one tournaments in context. But this guy is like someone you find at every five-a-side game ever. Like, good on the ball, incredibly yappy whenever anybody else has it. It's just, but always in the right place at the right time and just very combative um, and hugely impressed. Like, I, I just, I thought he was terrific all the way through the tournament. He was just the, the absolute heart of everything Georgia did. Um, and I think I got quite invested in their story um, just because... We talked about how um, sparsely populated um, some of those stadiums were other than when Georgia were playing, when it was incredibly loud. Like the, the second half of that game against Netherlands was amazing. It was like a kind of, um, it's like a passion play, like an event, um, watching them trying to hold out against them. It was it was great. A um, couple of others, a bit a little less off the beaten track. So um, Bert Verbruggen, um, the goalkeeper, who's obviously gone to Brighton, um, yeah. He looks, looks like a very good sign. Oh, I, yeah. I like it. I liked it before this tournament and I like it more now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't know very much about him before the tournament, but now that I do, I, I, I can I absolutely see. Um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I know this is a little bit of a, a red herring, but um, it's interesting how little value goalkeepers still attract because you see one of these guys and you think, right, so that's the opportunity to spend, what, 20 million euros and forget about a position for, tw- for 10 years if it goes right. Um, yeah. So the fees are fees are incredible. Um, another Ukrainian that everyone will probably know, but Artem Bondarenko, I thought was um, I think I think um, being charitable, like defensively, there's a bit of work to do. Um, but I love watching him on the ball. Um, I, I I I think he passes really nicely. Um, I think he's got a, a, a change of gear and a change of pace and a kind of a, an ability to carry the ball that I didn't really appreciate before this tournament. So that was kind of fun to see. Um, uh, right, so Martin Batarina, um, the Croatian player. Now, I posted this and um, I got a few of my followers telling me that he rates extremely highly on Football Manager. So that's very reassuring to know that. Um, I picked him because uh, he didn't really do anything with the ball. I felt Croatia were very limited. There wasn't really much up front. Um, they had a bad tournament. Um, yeah, I didn't think the Croats were particularly impressive in pretty much any sense. No. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to kind of accept, isn't it, sometimes? You, of course, because you expect, like, you're going to get, like, what, four Luka Modric's coming out of each Croatian youth team. But um, mm. he was he was great. I, I, I just, in the sense that um, 
when the team isn't playing well, um, I'm a terrible uh, uh, evaluator of ability. I'm, I've got some terrible judgments in my, my back catalogue. Um, but I just like watching him do the basics. I like watching him receive the ball and give it, receive the ball and give it. And a couple of occasions where um, he delivered from that sort of, uh, that wide right, shallow De Bruyne position that um, always seems to lead to an early calling goal uh, when it's in yeah. the Premier League. And you could imagine that situation if you had even like an Andre Kramerich in that team, right? You'd have seen something productive. You'd seen a tangible reward for the way Baturina played out. I thought he was... Um, he was great. Um, another team. I thought on your on on Batrina, your epithet on that first scouting report, I think it was, might be the second one, um, where he, he said one day he will earn a move to Germany or France and unstitch and play some Premier League <laughs> yeah, and team yeah. in the Europa League. I thought was just yeah, yeah. the most spot on thing I've he seen will, in about. He will ruin I loved it. It's it's very much he's going to miss Lav Orsic Tottenham someone. Yeah. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. You'll come up against him and it will be, you know, it will be, <laughs> it will be a Thursday night and, you know, you'll have played not a reserve team, but, you know, given a couple of guys in the middle of the pitch, yeah. you know, chance and he will ruin them. Absolutely ruin them. He's a, he's a terrific player. Um, so another guy who, um, who I was impressed with, but whose team had a really bad t- uh, the tournament around him, Angelo Stiller. Um, yeah, Germany, Germany, Germany got oh yeah. Well, Germany got a weird talent gap, man. Like they, they, they sort of if you go down to under seventeen level, they look fantastic. At senior level, it's a shambles, obviously. Now on twenty one level, just hopeless. I thought they were absolutely rubbish, but still it was good. Still it was good. I felt like even though he was kind of asked to play about three different midfield roles within the same game, like I, th- I don't think Stiller is a, a attacking midfielder. He's a six to no. me. Um, and hopefully gets more of a chance next season. I'm sure he will. But um, loads of ability. I really liked some of the interviews he gave after the German performances. He was talked. He, he spoke after. Um, uh, I think it was the second game, and he went on German television. And he was just livid, hated it. Um, and he was. He wasn't damning with his teammates. He was just kind of in that sort of accountable, not fronting up. I hate that term, but um, there was an accountability to him and a kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, just something very, very impressive about the way he spoke. And I, I think the way he plays speaks for itself. Like, he's clearly very gifted. Yeah. He scored a nice goal, but I think also, like, his distribution is good. Uh, his ball winning is really good. Like, I can see him becoming a really, really complete player, potentially winning a couple of, well, a couple, potentially being a, a proper German international in the future too. Um, so he'll be very interesting to watch in the Bundesliga next season. Um, but, yeah, impressed by him. Um, there was a Belgian wing back whose name I've forgotten so Jack if you just fill some time and I'll look him up <laughs> well I was I was gonna wait for you to talk about Bradley Barcola but I, oh, I might just yeah we can do that him. we can do that okay yeah that's okay because I just was I fell in love oh, and then con- yeah. consider I'm a Ray and Cherky absolute fanboy I was like well it's gonna be Cherky season and I'm really excited and it was to a point Cherky season um you kind of I think we have to take France's elimination with a pinch of salt. As you said, it felt yeah. like the Ukraine side were riding a wave. Yes, it did. And they were slightly unlucky to have an equaliser ruled out about two minutes before Ukraine scored the third and put the game to bed. And Ukraine felt kind of untouchable that night. It was yeah. just everything that went, could go right went right. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so, sometimes that happens. You know, it's it's a little bit like the France elimination in, in the last Euros 
in the, that game against Switzerland, they should have been in cruise control. And then suddenly everything just went for, went Switzerland's way. And, and it was like, there's just a force of nature working against you here. And, and you just have to kind of accept that, that sometimes that's it. But I loved watching Barcola. He's so, hey, so fast. You know, you know like I, I saw him play against the Doji in the first game. And I, I was, I'm a Tottenham fan, so I was really there to watch him. And there was a point where Barclay got the ball on the touchline and just cut in field. And the speed at which he gets away from players is, I mean, I just, who is this guy, right? <laughs> you. Um, and he was great. Like, actually, to be honest with you, like watching him in different roles throughout the tournament. I know France were France, but uh, God, I can't wait to watch more of him. He was, um, he was absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, he's um. He, there's a brilliant uh, one of those you know highlight reels. I think it's on Twitter by an old friend of this podcast, Alex Collings. He's at, at Alex FRCO uh, on Twitter, and it's just his thing is Bradley Barcola, king king of the cutback. Oh. And Sam had co- Sam commented on it recently, saying, "Now I understand why Lacazette scored so many goals last season." And it's just a reel of Barcola beating people, getting past them, getting to the byline and laying it up for Lacazette to tap the ball into the back of the net. So it's just one of those moments you're like, oh, this kid's going to go everything. But the rare thing that he has, and, and I feel like this is sometimes thrown around what he need, but I genuinely believe this is to be the case. He's faster with the ball at his feet than he is without it. And that is so rare. Yeah. So rare. So, yeah. He I seems to hold he... his acceleration, Jack. Like, instead of just going from 0 to 60 really quickly, which he does, he holds it for a long period of time. Um, the, Italy had a, had a wing back who did the same thing. I forget his name. Right side of wing back um, throughout the tournament. He was... He Raul was, Bellanova. Yes, indeed. Yes, exactly. He had... Um, I'm not sure what I made of him as a player, but as an athlete, he looked amazing. Um, Barclay... I'm not sure about him as a player either. But no, he, I'm sure. He very much is fast. He, he <laughs> But also like that, to, to be able to sustain... The Gareth career. Bale pace, right? The, yeah. the, the kind of, oh, I will go around you and I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. No I'm, worries about it. Acceleration doesn't dip. I don't give you a chance to get back at me once I've beaten you, even when I've got the ball. Yeah. That's amazing. Barclay, terrific. I, I, in fact, it's I, I, the kind of the only... Um, that's one of the regrets I had. I, I kind of wanted to see more of him throughout the tournament. I just thought he was... Um, he was just a breath of fresh air in the way he played. And it was, he was that guy who came to the tournament and said, I'm going to make a, I'm going to prove a point and just yeah. tore up every player he played against. It's extraordinary. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I've got two more. Um, I'm going to do them quickly because um, it will get very, very boring very quickly if I don't. Fabian Rieder from um, Switzerland, um, kind of like yeah. a, um, I suppose, shadow forward. Um, you, not quite a number 10, not quite. Uh, Paolo Dybala. Not necessarily in has style, but in, in, in mould. Yeah, his distribution was really good. Really like watching him. Um, the Belgian wingback, Maxim de Kuiper um, from Vestelou. Um Okay, so he might be in the Raul Bellanova category of not quite sure of what I think of him as a footballer. Looks a bit um, clunky, maybe. Yes. But um, so always does Marcus Alonso, right? Um and he had that kind of, I'm not trying to anoint a new Marcus Alonso. Well, doesn't need that. But um, no, if you have wing backs, you can be clunky. I think this is the thing. There's a, we used to call them rumblers here. <laughs> all right. Yeah, and there yeah, was yeah, loads yeah. of them, especially in the Bundesliga. There was absolutely. Um, 
you know, Danny DaCosta. Like, I'm not sure if Danny DaCosta is actually any good at football, but I know he will get up and down. Haustenberg was a bit of a rumbler. Like, there was loads of them in the Bundesliga. So I'm excited to see De Kuyper turn up next season at Stuttgart. Yeah, just, you know, he'll, he'll be a... He, but honestly, what, what, the thing I like in a wing-back, right, is in the right place at the right time. Just take a pass off somebody, good distribution, um... It looks he's he's a big boy, so he's decent as a defensive option. Good in in both boxes. Uh, good player, good player. I liked him. Um, <laughs> yeah. And actually, uh, the Czech goalkeeper, I think it's Sharos. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, who is is actually been playing League Two, but he, he's a Liverpool player. Um, Vitislav Jaros, who's only twenty one. Uh, I thought he was great. He made what I think is probably the save of the tournament. So um, neatly to kind of link two of my players together, there was an Angelo Stillo at free kick against the Jacks that was bending right into the top corner. And yeah, Jaros got across, um, made a brilliant save. I thought everything he did was really, really, really good. Um, he, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see what the pathway is at Liverpool for him. I, I, I don't know. Um, he was. He was kind of not an ever-present in League Two, so obviously something's happened there. But um, good player, good goalkeeper, does a lot of things really well. I, I really enjoyed watching him. Um, and yeah, actually really good tournament for goalkeepers, um, I think. Yeah. So yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, I think I think one thing to kind of look at, and, and I enjoyed that there was a couple of Ukrainians and a couple of Georgians there, because I think this point might apply to the most, you know, just to kind of round this off, is that, it felt like there were certain nations that, you know, I don't think that six of this England 11 are going to suddenly become senior internationals. No. But I think that when you look at the performances from that Georgia side and, and that Ukraine side, yeah. that there are obviously some players already making a step up, Ondarenko being you know, a, an obvious sure. one, Mamad yeah, yeah. really being an obvious one. There are a couple of players who are kind of between worlds. And there are kind of almost for every nation here, Sandra Tonali was a full Italian international. Madrid dropped into the tournament just halfway through, right? You know, we know, obviously. So this happens. But I do think that when you look at this, I think Georgian football going through, you know, a little bit of a renaissance at the moment. And we've seen, obviously, Kvara and and then Mikhadatse, Metz, who looks like he's linked with a Premier League move, another one that might be a Burnley. Burnley might be incredibly interesting next year. Yes, indeed. They signed Um, Bali as well from, from Dortmund today. So, yeah. But... You're kind of looking at it and going, right, we could be seeing six of this team in, in the national side in the next yeah. two years. And that's a pretty cool place to be, I think. Well, yeah, I think if you look back at, like, if you're not going to be gifted with, like, seven world-class players in the same senior and international team, I think one of the really valuable things is if you've got a side where you've come up through the age groups, you've got, a, like, a nucleus of players who've played together for a really long time. And if you can do that, if you can graduate players together, um, I guess it's one of the reasons why, like in some age group systems internationally, like some FAs like to keep a coach with with teams for two or three different cycles. So you get mm-hmm. someone going from under 17 to, I don't know, under 19, under 21. But yeah, like Georgian, I don't think Georgia were just a story. I don't think it was like, I think some of the moments that they, they the goal against the Netherlands, like it just happens, yeah. right? That someone, sure. yeah. But I thought there was some genuinely good footballers in that side. So it wasn't just a kind of, oh, isn't this funny? They were good and they deserved their point against Netherlands. They were deservedly better than Portugal, right? So um, good for them. And, and you know, if they're able to put a, a side of that quality out, then, you know, when you have to go and play a team like that in Georgia, in Tbilisi, in that kind of environment, 
Mark, you don't want to go there. It's not like the old days where it was like, oh, um, keep a lid on King Cladsey and you'll be fine. Like there's talent in these sides and they're kind of, and when you look at kind of where a lot of these players are playing their football. So David Ashley is, is playing, I think at um, uh, Bordeaux, I think, um, mm. you know, so it's, it's a kind of, it's a bit more of a global feel to it. Um, and yeah, it, it's it felt like a healthy tournament in that respect, I think. I hope so. Well, I, I, you know, I think I think you're right, but I also think you know, look at look at the players missing. Kavada could have played. Yes, Mikhail Latte could have played. Yeah. Like these are the cohort. They might have been like, right, we're playing for the senior team now. We we need to do a little bit. Mabadash really did play. You know, these are these yeah. three kind of stars for shining lights that are so far in. And you go, hang on, there's four or five more here that are definitely capable of making the jump up. And and that's a that's a cool place to be. And, and that's that's why that's why I liked about this Georgian team. Yeah, me too. I also think it's kind of the right decision not to have, like, I'm not really a big fan of the kind of the parachuting the Mudrick in, right? Because yeah, I know he's a good player. Like, um, I don't need to see Tenali at this tournament. I, I don't need it. I want somebody else to get the chance because I know that he's going to be an 80, 90 cap international ready. I want somebody else to have the experience of playing with other players who are also going to be at that level one day or, you know, have the chance to progress. So um, it's why... I always dislike the the old kind of yeah. Why doesn't Jack Wilshire play in the under twenty ones for Europe for England? Like, because what's the point, right? Like, all yeah. you're doing is kind of shortening a career potentially, or like let's parachute Marcus Rashford in, or you know, that stuff. I don't like it. Um, it's a weird. I got really angry about that. This takes me back no. to the arguments I had ten years ago, Jack. <laughs> no, I, I think it's absolutely right. Even even I was a little bit one told torn on on Kefren Turan. Yeah. But I think that he probably has just about few enough caps. That I can I can accept it, but yeah. it's it's he's not miles off. There might have to become, and there might be a, a point for a different day in a different episode. But there might have to become a point where you look at players who have more than five senior caps for their size and think, I don't necessarily think that's on. It's difficult though, isn't it? Because of the way that the age group system works, and because of like how you stay eligible through the cycle, <laughs> it's really hard to police that. I agree with you. But because I, I got a few of those comments, like, why have you got 23-year-olds in this tournament? Like, well, that's, you've got to be fair. You've got to, you can't just have a tournament that begins for players who are 18 or 19 and that's it. It's just, that doesn't work. Um, but it's difficult. Yeah. And I, I agree, but it's, it's a hard one. A hard one to manage. Um, yes, and on that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. So all that's left for me to do is say a massive thank you, Seth Stafford-Bloor, for joining us on Ranks FC today. It's been a real pleasure discussing all this with you, Seb. Where can the Rank Squad find you? I am at The Athletic and I am on the old uh, Tifa Illustrated um, YouTube channel. I'm, I'm about, but um, yeah, writing on The Athletic. You're on and, threads. Uh, <laughs> I have tried it. I'm not ready to announce myself as being on threads. I'm trying it out um, okay. alongside like four other different ones. But I'm, uh, I'm at SebSB on Twitter, still there. And I think I'm at Seb Stafford Bloor on, on threads. So see how it goes on there. Yeah, I, I'm struggling with having two different handles on, on Twitter and threads as well. So so I'm right right there yeah, with it's... you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC on the Euro Under 21 Championships. Dean is going to be back later in the week with a Fantasy Premier League episode with Gianni Petitche uh, talking about all you need to know with your first drafts of FPL hitting this week. Thank you so much for listening as ever, and we'll see you very shortly, Ranks Squad. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... 
the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs> 